Heart disease or that blockage in those arteries that feed the heart. I think you articulated very well. The heart has an electrical system that also has the plumbing system. What are some of the causes of coronary artery disease or blockage in, in those arteries around the heart? Coronary artery disease is caused when there is plaque buildup within the arteries of the heart. These plaques are often made up of cholesterol, fat, and calcium. As they build up within the arteries of the heart, they cause narrowing. And due to that narrowing, there is limitation of blood flow to the heart muscle itself, limitation of oxygen delivery to the heart muscle itself. That's when patients develop chest pain or angina. Sometimes these plaques can become inflamed or unstable and rupture and clot off. And that's when patients develop heart attacks. There are obviously a lot of risk factors that can promote this process of atherosclerosis or plaque buildup, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, physical inactivity, advanced age, and family history of coronary artery disease. Dr. Azar Medizadeh is answering your top questions about heart disease. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. Dr. Medizadeh, we were talking about this coronary artery disease or this blockage how does one go about diagnosing somebody with blockages um, to these arteries around the heart? Your first step in evaluation is your visit with your doctor. During that visit, there will be a comprehensive history taking by your physician where we will ask a lot of questions about the patient's symptoms. We also do a complete physical exam where we listen to the hearts, the lungs, and the vessels and examine the vessels in the body. Sometimes based on that history and physical exam alone, we will gather a lot of clues that point to underlying heart disease or atherosclerosis or coronary artery disease. Aside from, aside from history and physical exam, we have a lot of diagnostic tools in the office and outpatient setting that we can diagnose coronary artery disease. They range from an EKG or an electrocardiogram to other forms of imaging, such as echocardiography, which is an ultrasound of the heart, which takes live video pictures of the heart and tell us a lot about how the heart pumps, how the valves work. Um, we also have various forms of stress testing for patients that are able to exercise or those that are unable to exercise. We can do pharmacological stress testing. Other forms of imaging, such as cardiac CT or cardiac MRI are other tests that we can do. We also sometimes do invasive procedures such as cardiac catheterization or coronary angiography, where we put catheters in the heart, inject a dye, and take pictures of the arteries of the heart under x-ray and can do a direct visualization of those arteries looking for plaque buildup. When we think about that and we think about plaque buildup and we think of, of how we d diagnose it, once we find it, then how do we treat it? You know, what are some of the options that we have for patients around treatment of these blockages to their heart? The first step starts with lifestyle modifications, and that is patient being at the center of that. So at your first visit, the doctor might just tell you, you need to eat healthier, you need to exercise regularly, you need to quit smoking, you need to keep an eye on your blood pressure at home by keeping a blood pressure diary, consume less salt to help lower your blood pressure. And after lifestyle modification, we do 
have a lot of uh, different classes of medications that we can use to treat heart disease and coronary artery disease. For example, lipid-lowering medications, blood pressure-lowering medications, antiplatelet agents such as aspirin, and other groups of medications that we uh, reserve for patients with congestive heart failures and or arrhythmias that can be associated with coronary artery disease. We certainly utilize the breadth of those tools that are available to round that. But sometimes medications don't actually do all of that work from that. And we actually have to do other types of things to help people feel better and ultimately live longer. What are some of the other treatment options that we may have? Absolutely. So in terms of coronary artery disease, if medications alone are not helping patients' symptoms, or there are other comorbidities that need to be taken into consideration when treating those patients, then we would move one step forward into more invasive strategies. So we spoke about coronary angiography and cardiac catheterization, where we can directly visualize the arteries of the heart. At that time, if we find a blockage, uh, the interventional cardiologist, such as Dr. White, can go in there, place a stent in the heart, and open up that blockage, make patients feel better, and have and control their chest pain. Uh, in some situations, unfortunately, uh, we may not be able to open everything with stents, or the extent of heart disease is such that the patient may need more comprehensive um, revascularization. And at that time, we might have to refer the patient to a cardiac surgeon, where they would be performing open-heart surgery uh, with bypass of those blocked arteries. You know, certainly our goal through all of this is really to prevent you from ever coming to see, you know, me as an interventional cardiologist to put stents in your heart or ultimately the heart surgeon to fix this, you know, but sometimes these are unavoidable. But one of these things that we did talk about was, you know, those lifestyle modifications to help reduce an individual's risk. You know, what type of foods, when we're talking about this, should someone eat and what type should they avoid? Great question. So heart-healthy diet is critical as a controlled risk factor for heart disease. Um, we usually advocate for a Mediterranean diet that has been well studied. They have looked at individuals that live by the Mediterranean Sea, and they tend to live longer, live healthier, and a lesser risk of heart disease. And they looked at what they eat. And essentially, a diet that is rich in fruit and vegetables, healthier fat, such as monosaturated as opposed to trans or uh, saturated fat, uh, olive oil, consuming protein in the form of seafood such as fish, also eating whole grains, consuming small amount of alcohol, especially red wine. Uh, these have been shown to be uh, cardioprotective. Great segue into talking about red wine and, and that. How much alcohol should someone be drinking? And, and can that affect your heart? You know, we've read and heard that sometimes, yeah, red wine can help, but how much is too much or how much is not enough? Absolutely. So small amount of alcohol consumption has been shown in some studies to be cardioprotective. In these studies, they do not advocate drinking more than six drinks a week. So that is considered to be small to moderate amount of alcohol consumption. Some studies reported that red wine might be superior to other forms of alcoholic beverages. 
maybe due to some component or ingredient within the red wine. And some people argue it might reflect a social bias behind those individuals that actually drink red wine. Having said that, there are other studies that have suggested it's not actually what type of alcoholic beverage you drink, but rather small amount of uh, uh, alcohol consumption, no more than six drinks a week. Now, having said that, we don't recommend binge drinking. So if it's Sunday night, you haven't had your drink every night, I don't advocate for you to have six glasses of wine on Sunday night just to catch up on that. I think that's a, a, a great point. I think everything in moderation as Absolutely. we're doing this. And, and, and spacing this out is, is probably important and where we see a lot of that benefit um, around alcohol consumption. But really one of the other key pieces to a healthy lifestyle is physical activity. How much physical activity should we be getting um, as an individual to improve our overall heart health? So for those individuals that are, that are able to exercise, um, uh, the recommendation is vigorous activity for about 75 minutes a week or moderate intensity activity for about 150 minutes a week. For those individuals that are not able to do moderate to vigorous activities such as jogging, hiking, biking, then we recommend modest activity, which is brisk walking, even 20 minutes a day, and they have been shown to be cardioprotective. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about heart disease and what you can do to reduce your risk. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for adults in the United States, but there are lots of ways to reduce this risk and live a healthier life. Dr. Medizadeh, we've talked a little bit about the physical activity and the diet, but one of the things that we haven't addressed is really tobacco use and smoking. You know, how detrimental is smoking for someone's overall heart health? As I mentioned earlier, smoking is one of the leading causes of premature death in the world that is preventable. Although it's dose-dependent, meaning the more you smoke and the longer you smoke, the higher the risk, studies have shown even a couple of cigarettes a day can increase your risk of heart disease by as much as 50%. So, it plays a significant role in promoting atherosclerosis. It increases your heart rate and blood pressure. It can affect lipid metabolism in the body. It causes narrowing of the arteries within the heart and promotes atherosclerosis and can lead to advancement of plaque buildup within the arteries. I think that's an important thing. You know, there's no amount of smoking is safe um, around this. I think it's important for everyone to understand that smoking cessation is one of the biggest things that you can do to improve your overall heart health um, around that and, and using those, you know, methodologies to be able to stop smoking. You know, in addition to these, you know, diet, exercise, not smoking, what are some other ways that you can help take charge of your medical condition? I.e., how often should I be going to my healthcare professional and, you know, having an evaluation done such as my blood pressure and my cholesterol? As an adult individual, when you establish care with your primary care doctor, you will undergo a number of screening things um, that are age appropriate. And the recommendation is that for an adult American, when they establish care, to get screened for primary elevation in their cholesterol or hyperlipidemia by fasting blood work, which will check their fasting levels of uh, cholesterol. Um, they will also do a physical exam, including a blood pressure um, to diagnose and screen for elevation in blood pressure. Once that has been done, depending on what the numbers are, you may need 
more frequent visits, um, and after the first initial evaluation of the lipids, depending on what those risk factors overall are for heart disease, you may rescreen those patients between the ages of 25 to 45 again. And I always advocate keeping at least regular visits with a, a primary care physician at least once a year for routine screening. Uh, nothing breaks my heart more when I see a patient in the emergency room with their first diagnosis of heart attack, and that is their first medical encounter in over 10 years. Yeah, it's truly important to establish that relationship with a trusted healthcare professional to make certain that you're able to stay up on these screenings, have these important conversations, you know, around your health and a better ways to manage this. You know, one of the other things we hear that may affect your heart a lot is stress. How does stress impact the overall heart and this concept of heart disease? So studies that have looked at the effect of stress directly on the coronary arteries, those studies are limited. Uh, having said that, we often see or hear of patients having a heart attack during a heated argument or when they're stressed out. Stress increases your heart rate and blood pressure and increases demand on the heart. It makes sense that during those situations, patients that have underlying heart disease may develop angina or chest pain. Also, some studies have shown that type A personalities that are more stressed tend to have more atherosclerosis in their heart. Aside from coronary artery disease and stress, there is a separate entity where stress can directly affect the heart. We call it broken heart syndrome or stress cardiomyopathy. In this type of condition, a catastrophic social stress on an individual can cause a transient dysfunction in the heart function. It can present as a heart attack mimicker. Patients can present with chest pain or congestive heart failure symptoms. So whether it's going to affect atherosclerosis or it affects the heart function, stress is not good. This has been a very stressful year for everyone around the world with COVID-19 infection. And it is best to try to control that stress in whatever means possible, whether it's reading books, spending more time with family, yoga, exercising, gardening. But definitely stress can affect your heart. So find ways to control that. I certainly agree. I think stress is, you know, one of those things that we really have to think about. And we really just need to be cognizant of that and do things to really help individuals manage that stress. Um, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about heart disease and what you can do to reduce your risk. Heart disease is sometimes thought of as a man's disease, but almost as many women die each year of heart disease in the United States. How does heart disease affect women, and is it any different than those that, uh, what we see in the male population? Heart disease is the number one cause of death in women in the United States. And the, uh, women suffer from heart attacks similar to men. They have similar risk factors as men. And uh, although they present almost about 10 years later after men with symptomatic heart disease, as you mentioned, the burden of heart disease in women is significant. Women tend to live longer than men, so we tend to take care of more women that are living with heart disease. Having said that, in terms of presentations, women tend to have atypical symptoms, unfortunately, and that sometimes can lead to delay in diagnosis. It has been shown that in a setting of an acute heart attack, men more commonly report chest pain than the women. When women present with heart attacks, sometimes their presentation is atypical. They may complain of dizziness, nausea, 
vomiting, um, shortness of breath, uh, rather than the classic chest pain that men may present to the emergency room with. Also, in terms of stable chest pain, their symptoms may not be typical in the sense that they might not be brought on by physical activity like in men. Their chest pain may be stress-related or even occur at rest. So women have heart disease, their risk factors are the same, and Although their symptoms are atypical, they should seek medical attention for any type of atypical cardiac symptoms. And I think that's very important. I think, you know, it's important for us to educate that, you know, women have this as just as frequently as men, and these symptoms may be a little bit different. And it may be including, you know, again, not that crushing chest pain that we're all accustomed to seeing on, on television, and it may be more subtle. And it's very important to pay attention to those symptoms and, and, in that. Are there any risk factors that are different in women than men? You know, we've talked about diet. We've talked about exercise. We've talked about smoking. Is there anything else within uh, within women that are different in those risk factors? Well, the frequency of heart disease is higher in men than premenopausal women. However, once they reach menopause, that protective effect goes away and the risk of heart disease catches on in postmenopausal women. So as we're kind of ending our time here together today, what are three things that our listeners can do to take action now to improve their overall heart health? I'm going to mention a study that is fascinating to me, and hopefully this will help patients make change in their life today. They looked at more than 2,000 elderly men and women, and they looked at a group that self-selected for a healthy Mediterranean diet, did not smoke consumed a small amount of alcohol, exercised regularly, and compared them over 10 years, compared them to the, another group that did not self-select for those lifestyle changes and continued to follow them for 10 years. And what they found was striking. There was 67% lower risk of mortality from cardiovascular death in patients that self-selected for those lifestyle changes. And overall mortality was 65% lower in the group that uh, adopted those lifestyle changes. So today, if you stop smoking, today, if you eat healthier, today, if you start exercising, before even you step foot in Dr. White's office or my office, you're going to lower your risk of heart disease by more than 50%. I think that's absolutely fascinating and an absolutely fascinating study around this is we need to continue to, you know, advocate for individuals around this and make sure that we can do those lifestyle changes because our goal as clinicians and as healthcare providers is really to help people live their best lives and give them their tools to do that from there. And truly having overall good heart health helps us accomplish that. Uh, Dr. Azar Medizadeh, District Medical Group Cardiologist at ValleyWise Health, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can join us anytime on our podcast at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon.